Welcome to the Longleaf Podcast. This is episode 10, and as usual, this is Andrew Dunn, founder and publisher of Longleaf Politics. At Longleaf, we're all about making sense of the crazy world of North Carolina politics, and here on the podcast, we let you hear directly from newsmakers who are making things happen. Today, that's Senator Jeff Jackson, a rising star in the Democratic Party, who's also running for another term representing Charlotte. Today's episode is brought to you by Endivious, a new app born right here in North Carolina that helps you get outside your filter bubble. You'll be able to connect with somebody who thinks differently from you on issues nationally, at the state level, and if you're here in Charlotte, that are important locally as well. That's I-N-D-I-V-I-U-S, Indivious, available now in the Apple App Store. Now on to the interview. Senate will come to order. Sergeant Arms will close the doors. Members and will go to their seats. Senator Jeff Jackson, thanks for coming on the Longleaf Podcast. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So four years ago, you were an assistant district attorney just getting tapped to fill in Dan Clodfelter's seat uh, in the state Senate when he went to go be Charlotte mayor. Now, today you're driving all over the state, leading the campaign to break the Republican majority in the General Assembly. How did all this happen so fast? You know, I think it happened just because of a confluence of events where the 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 number of Democrats in the General Assembly sort of reached a historic low right as I happened to enter the General Assembly after I got appointed. Um, and right after that happened uh, this year, we've got this kind of historic opportunity and energy is surging. So at the same time where, you know, there aren't too many people on Team Democrat, uh, there's a real opportunity to go out and get a bunch of new folks to join our team. So we're just trying to do everything we can this year because the stakes are so high and the opportunity is so big. You know, two years ago, half of the Republicans were unopposed. This year, none of them are unopposed. So we're just trying to do everything we can for these candidates because a lot of these races are going to come down to less than a thousand votes. They're going to be really close. Well, you're certainly logging the miles in to make that happen. Uh, I believe you were telling me you've got something like 30 plus events between now and the election, you know, in all different corners of the state of North Carolina. What have you learned as you've traveled around the state, you know, getting outside your district and, and seeing people all over the state? You learn a lot. So you learn stuff about localities and what the particular needs of certain regions are and certain cities are, because I always like to, if there's a local mayor who's at an event, I always try to to you know, corner the mayor and say, you know, tell me about your city, tell me about your town. So you learn a lot about individual places around the state. But then, you know, the big theme is the commonality. Um, the speech that I give in Pasquotank is going to be pretty similar to the speech that I give in Asheville, pretty similar to the speech I give in Hickory, Salisbury, Asheboro. And people respond to the same pieces of that speech in, in very similar ways, right? They understand that this election is basically about there's a group of folks in Raleigh who have seized absolute power, and our legislature is run by five or six guys at the top, and they make all of the decisions, and we need to put a check on them because that experience has not been great for North Carolina um, over the last six or seven years. If you've been watching the news, Andrew, I don't know how closely you follow North Carolina politics, but <laughs> uh, we've made some headlines over the last, you know, so far this decade. And so my case to people has basically been, Hey, look, we need our true political voice to be heard as a state. We're a 50-50 state. That's how we need to act. I'm not out there saying we need to 
you know, implement the Massachusetts agenda here in North Carolina. We just need to be our true selves. And if we unlock that potential, we get to do all this great stuff as a state. We get to tackle all of these serious challenges that we all regard as serious and tackle them in a practical way. And that resonates everywhere in the liberal parts of the state and the conservative parts of the state. Everybody seems to get that that's the opportunity that we have this year. Well, that's really interesting because, you know, every so often, it seems like every other year, you know, you'll hear talk about there really being two North Carolinas, um, you know, mostly referring to economy and opportunity. I'm thinking of uh, Margaret Spellings, president of the UNC system, talking about that not too long ago. But uh, in your travels you know, throughout the state, what's your sense of this? Are there really two North Carolinas? You know, economically, I think they're probably closer to three or four North Carolinas when you kind of look at the economic gradient. But there is a general sense of are you someplace where people are moving or are you someplace where people are leaving? And nobody wants to be someplace where people are leaving, where young people after they graduate from high school try to find opportunities outside of town. People are really actively trying to find ways to make their town attractive for young people and for educated people to come back. And, and, you know, recatalyze growth in that area. So we have in Charlotte a completely different set of economic development problems than, you know, 15, 20 other counties. Our problems deal with coping with growth and making sure that we grow in an intelligent and equitable way. There are a lot of counties that would love the problems that Mecklenburg has, frankly, around growth. They're interested in, in catalyzing growth. They've got population decline or they've had population decline for the last decade and they're interested in reversing that so they're having to think you know big thoughts and regional thoughts how do we fit into a regional economy what are the strengths that we inherently have how do we leverage those strengths and the economic conversations are very different yeah for sure i I want to drill in on uh here in mecklenburg county here for a second so you're also well known for your 1000 doors of summer where you you walk around the district and, and knocking on doors and having conversations what are you hearing uh, this year when you're out knocking on doors? Is it any different from previous years? And are there any general themes? It is different from previous years. And that's sort of the takeaway that I've got so far. I'm about 350 doors in. We had some special sessions, so I'm a little behind schedule. But the last day of summer is September 22nd, and I'm still on track to hit my thousand. But, you know, two years ago when I was doing this, it was the tone was different. This year, it's it's downbeat, it's much more cynical, it's much angrier. And I don't like to report that because I do think that we've got, you know, a lot of potential. A lot of good things can happen in the near term in in politics, both on the state level and the national level. But I mean, since you asked, people were pretty pissed off. And the president comes up very often. Now, look, I'm in a Democrat district, right? So this is not a representative sample of the entire state or even the entire county because there are five districts just in Mecklenburg. But Trump comes up at almost every door and I'm not bringing him up. But, you know, I say, hey, I'm Jeff. I'm your state senator. You know, I'm just stopping by to see how everything's going. How's the neighborhood? And, you know, they most people don't know me. Right. And they're not 100 percent sure whether I'm in Raleigh or whether I'm in D.C., you know, because I do my intro kind of fast. And (laughs) um, and they say, well, this is my chance, basically, to to let this guy know what I think about what's happening, what I'm seeing in the headlines. And I mean, it's tough. People are really upset. And I totally acknowledge their anger. I'm not there to argue with them or push back on that. I share those concerns for the most part where I differ with people. And the message I try to leave with them is watch 
watch the, the difference between cynicism and skepticism, right? Once you cross over into cynicism, now you're no longer part of the solution because you're not going to join a team. You're not going to make a special effort. You're not going to get up off the couch and try to make things better. Stay skeptical of everyone. Stay skeptical of me. But if you're skeptical, you can still work to make things better. And I think things are going to get better. That's the other message I try and leave them with. I say, I think you're going to see things get better over the next few years. You make a good point. I mean, how how big of an impact do you think um, President Trump is going to have down the ballot into some of these uh, General Assembly races? Overwhelming. Look, I mean, we're doing everything we can to help these candidates and I'm driving all around and I impress upon them. You got to be knocking doors. You got to be calling folks. But at the end of the day, by far, the single largest factor in every single one of these races, and this is true of state legislative races across the country and not just in the last four years, but for the last several decades, overwhelmingly state legislative races are determined by how people feel about the president because they just don't know that much about us. And I understand people are busy Following national politics is a lot, especially these days. You add state politics to that, and it's more than a lot of people have time for, frankly. So our races are going to be determined to the extent that they are competitive districts by people's feelings about the president. And that's just a fact we have to be realistic about as state legislators. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, there's plenty of chaos up uh, in D.C. and at the federal level in politics, but I don't believe we're helping things with endless special sessions and rewrites and uh, budget amendments or no amendments and, and all that. No, we're not making it easy for people to follow exactly what's going on. But what we are conveying to people in spades is that we are not to be trusted, that we are not managing our power well, that we do not appear to virtually anyone to be acting with the greater good uh, on our minds, that we are trying to serve ourselves, that we are playing very petty games and that we are very good at that. And they're just not hearing big debates about, hey, how are we going to adopt to the modern economy in North Carolina, right? We had globalization hit us like a ton of bricks, and we're still feeling the effects. And now, oh, look, here comes automation. Robotics and software are going to be incredibly disruptive unless we position ourselves well. What do we need to do for that? You don't, that conversation, not only are you not hearing that as a citizen and as a consumer of state political news, I can tell you from being in the building that conversation isn't even happening to the extent that we talk about the future of work. It's it's on the periphery and where it should be a core subject. And it, you should know what we're talking about there. Rural North Carolina, these population, these counties where populations are in decline. What's the plan? We don't want to leave them behind. What's the plan? There's no conversation about that. That's a problem. That's certainly a problem. What's it going to take? I mean, what's the solution to that? Is uh, How do we, as a state, make sure that we're carving out time to, to have those conversations? Well, I mean, here's where I think the news is actually better. I think you're going to see us start to have some of those conversations because we're in, in a, an artificially depressed state right now politically because, well, frankly, gerrymandering led to these two enormous supermajorities. So it led to an artificial state of one party rule when you've got two parties that are having a conversation, well, now the conversation becomes more reflective of the state as a whole and less reflective of, frankly, the 10% of North Carolinians who tend to vote in a Republican primary. We are governed completely by the 10% of North Carolinians who vote in a, a Republican primary. They set 100% of the agenda and, that, and have for this entire decade so far. 
When that stops being the case, then the conversation starts to sound more reflective of the whole. Now, uh, I know you got to get back on the road, so I got two more questions for you. All right. Number one, um, in other states, we're seeing uh, more of the, the farther left wing of the Democratic Party start to have a little bit of electoral success. I'm thinking of uh, uh, New York's congressional race a couple weeks ago. I mean, are you seeing of any signs of that in North Carolina, of the, the, the leftward side of the party becoming more influential? Well, I guess what I'm seeing is less of an ideological split and more of a generational split as millennials are kind of aging into the political process. They're changing the discourse. And I think it's great. I mean, look, millennials are like every previous generation throughout history. They are incrementally more diverse and they are incrementally different in a number of sociological ways and economic ways. But they have been exposed to exponentially more information than any generation in human history. And I think that's great. They are comfortable with information. They're comfortable seeking it out on their own. They're comfortable demanding it. So their bullshit detector is really good. It's, it's the best of any generation we've had. And I think that is great. That's how you see a quantum leap forward in the quality of our political discourse. When, you, when a whole generation just turns its back on the absolute phonies in politics, which is what I think the millennials are going to do. And yes, that's going to end up sounding very different and their political concerns are going to sound different. But I don't think that can be explained in purely ideological terms. I just think they're done with the phoniness and they're ready to get real and they're ready to get substantive and ain't at the time. You know, we've waited a long time, but I think you're going to see that happen. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we've already seen that generational flip here on the city council here in Charlotte. And I think I think that's going to ripple across all levels of government. Well, the uh, Senate District 37, which is the one I'm honored to represent, is the average age is 35. It's the youngest uh, Senate district in the state. And I'm happy to report I'm 35 years old. So I'm going to that's that's a selling point for me. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, Talk about representative democracy. Yeah, Come on, y'all. You can't get any better than that. I'm you. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, what do you make of the fact that Republicans are already making plans for how to defeat you if you ever run for statewide office? I think there are probably better uses of their time. I'm delighted to hear that they want to waste their time on such speculative ventures when their supermajority is at risk. It would concern me a lot more if they spent more time on the road trying to help out their candidates who are at risk. So if they want to waste time speculating on that type of thing, have at it. Senator Jeff Jackson, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks so much for spending a little time with us today here at the Longleaf Podcast. We hope you learned something. It's almost cliche for podcast hosts to ask for this, but there's a reason. If you could go to your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating or a review, that's going to help us get in front of more people who want to understand the state of North Carolina and its politics. We'll see you again soon. So many in favor that motion will say aye. Those opposed, no. The ayes have it. The Senate stands adjourned.